0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 30, the one about going live with HAPS, Instagram growth and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Let's get on with the show. And welcome everyone to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing
1: Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much for the introduction. And can I say it's also a pleasure to spend time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Roger World video series, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you, Pascal. And
0: we are here for episode number 30 and we've got a fabulous show for you today one of my favorite films is in the <laughs> film marketing section and we've got a lot to get through before we get to that but i'm so excited about the film that we're going to be talking about today so shall we get into the first part of the show pascal let's head into the
1: news YouTube will expand its tipping tool called Applause to more channels letting users donate to creators during live streams. And staying with YouTube, its Shorts
0: feature, which is effectively a TikTok clone with 3.5 billion daily views, is actually to arrive in the US this March. Up till
1: now, it's only been available in India. Wow, well, Accor launches All Connect, a hybrid hotel business meeting concept combining physical in-hotel meetings with virtual interactions in partnership with Microsoft Teams. The Norwegian
0: video meeting platform whereby pledged to plant up to a million trees, one for every three meetings hosted in February in support of the Eden Reforestation
1: Project. Well, according to new research from buyacar.co.uk, car dealers should brace themselves for a spike in demand for new and used models when lockdown ends. The National Lottery's decision to invest heavily in marketing
0: over the past three years and throughout the pandemic is starting to pay dividends, according
1: to its CMO, Keith Moore. Google Maps is testing a couple of new useful features in the US, paying for parking in overfunded cities or buying a train tickets directly from the app. And finally, the
0: horrific Weetabix baked beans tweet prompted hilarious brand pylons, effectively other brands offering their own take on the original tweet. This is a perfect example of probably accidental viral marketing. Shall we start with the Weetabix tweet,
1: Pascal? Yes, please. Have, Have you actually seen it? Yes, and I did shudder in horror and recoiled in horror as I saw the image. And and
0: and it's it's really interesting as 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 the news item said. Lots of other brands, and and, you know, not just food brands. I've seen car ads. I've seen. I I think I even saw L'Oreal, their their the uh, shampoo brand, piling in with their own take of the Weetabix tweet. But, of course, using the same uh, hashtag and the uh, the same sort of language. So whether Weetabix knew that this was going to happen or not, in which case it's an absolute genius piece of marketing, or whether it was a total and utter fluke, it's absolutely gone global. This has (laughs) absolutely taken off. So it just goes to show viral marketing can work. I'm just not convinced that you can actually do it on purpose.
1: I would agree with you. I mean, m- most of the examples that people always cite you know, as a case study or the example to follow, they, they always seem to you know, assume the, this intent. And I think it was more obviously the, uh, the, the, the Wittebeck's brand thinking, w- what would be a fun thing to do to lighten the tone whilst the world, and particularly the UK, is in lockdown? And I'm sure they wanted their own audience to enjoy and have a smile when they saw the image and get a reaction. It's a bit like Marmite, isn't it? You're in, you're out. Yeah. But I don't suspect they, you know, they sat in, the, in that meeting room or that Zoom or Teams uh, meeting session to say, and next stage will be when the other brands copy us. You know, I think that's been essentially a uh, delightful surprise to them too. I think you're right. I think you're right. And in the news this week, there was two items about
0: YouTube, and I deliberately kept both of them in because something that I'm going to say in the in the tech section of the show later really applies to these two pieces of news. But it's quite interesting that YouTube are going to be introducing this ability for people to effectively give you money for your videos, direct in the channel. Now, obviously, some people who have successful YouTube channels often use something called Patreon to effectively get people to subscribe and maybe pay them a five or a month or something like that. But from what I can work out, this will be the ability for a watcher of a video in the same way as pressing a like button, you'll be able to clap and give them a donation and it could be a dollar, could be 10 dollars,
1: whatever you feel. And for memory, this is the third news item that has a link to donation, you know, Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's going to become a more, uh, you know, feature for for platforms out there. And the novelty is going to be uh, gone completely. Uh, And for me, it's kind of, yeah, why not? Why not have different levels of showing your appreciation? And I know that on occasion you talked about the the coffee uh, jar and that kind of things. But um, we've got the likes, we've got the comments, we've got the share. Before people, where you can really tell that there is um, a lot of work on into it, or there's a cost to the production of what they do, why not, by extension, become a micro executive producer and share, you know, two two pounds or or ten dollars for that matter?
0: Agreed. And the second YouTube bit of news was this thing they call Shorts, which is effectively their version of TikTok, which is, you know, we've seen the the stories type thing flooding across the social media platforms at the moment. Ironically, you would have thought that YouTube might have been the pioneer of this sort of thing, but even they are playing catch-up. And apparently it's been going down really well in India, and now they're going to roll it out
1: Obviously, to America, we'll probably get it in the UK later in the year, I guess. Mm, absolutely. It's a tricky one because the uh, the TikTok-type content, which I know on Instagram they're trying with Reels, it feels to me like it belongs to the uh, TikTok kind of environment. And YouTube, the number two, if not number one in some nation, you know, search engine for information, for education and knowledge. I just don't know where shorts is going to fit in, but, you know, time will tell. Yeah,
0: I, I absolutely agree. And and again, it's something we keep coming back to on the show, isn't it, Pascal? But again, why does everybody want to aspire to be exactly <laughs> the same as everybody else? Now, the last thing I thought we'd talk about today was this Accor, the hotel chain, and this concept of all connect, whereby they are effectively planning ahead to when the pandemic lockdown is gone. I think that they are very clever here by thinking, do you know what? People are always now going to want some sort of virtual aspect to meetings going forward. And we already said that some companies have decided that even after the lockdown lifts, they're not going to be spending as much on travel for events and such like. So by putting the kit into their hotel meeting rooms Now, so that when people come back and they may have 10 people in a room as opposed to 30 people in a room and the other 20 will be somewhere else, but they'll be able to be beamed in on a big, high quality HD screen with, you know, really high quality cameras. Uh,
1: I think it's a very shrewd move. And you know what's interesting? So two things, I'm a big fan of the Accor brands and actually a group of companies. When I used to work in uh, back in corporates, I used to insist that if I was in London or anywhere, I would have an Accor hotel with Ibis or Sofitel and the others. People thought it was because of the continental breakfast, Roger, but actually it was because of the <laughs> because of the TV channels because you were guaranteed if you went to an Ibis hotel that there would be some French movies and, and TV series so I could uh, play catch up. My reaction initially, Roger, interestingly, was that after I thought this was a non-use. This was like a so what moment. But then, like you, when you sit back and reflect, you say, well, actually know what they're doing is taking the initiative on the, the trend that is around the corner barely a few months where not everyone will be able to travel to begin with, then willing to travel And why not actually take the initiative and actually clearly state your case? Because I think sometimes all of us in business, no matter whether you are on your own, as a solopreneur or a big corporate, we will make assumptions about what our customers understand and remember about what we are. So in know, case in point, someone could have said, well, we have this meeting rooms, so we have conference room, uh, they will come and book them, let's wait and see. But actually, by taking the initiative and releasing this news item about this is what we're doing, and it has a name, All Connect, and it has this, it has that, I think it's uh, actually uh, very clever indeed, you're right.
0: Yeah. So uh, another fabulous set (laughs) of news items for us to get our teeth into this, this week, Pascal. But I think it's time to move on. And the next section of the show is the content spotlights. Well, in this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table an item of content. It could be an article, a video, webinar, something that we've seen during the last week which grabs our attention. And the great thing about it is, is we don't share that piece of content in advance, so it's always a bit of a surprise. So,
1: Pascal... Hit me with what you've got this week. So this week I've gone for a video, Roger. Video produced by a gentleman that you remember from a few years ago called Phil Pallon. Now you and I met Phil at New Media Expo all those years ago. I'm gonna argue, Roger, that everything began at New Media Expo in Manchester many, many years ago. So once again, we've said before, big thank you to Mike and Isabella to creating this movement for that content creation community. Now, Phil Palin and I are connected through you know, the, the marketing. I wouldn't say we're, we're close acquaintances, but we always wave to each other from you know across the interweb. And I just love what he does as a personal brand coach, as a visual marketer in terms of the advice and so on. I must confess, I was very tempted to actually add Phil to the content uh, creator's shoutouts, but that video was worthy of content spotlight. The video is entitled How to Grow Organically on Instagram. Instagram in 2021 and there's two reasons why I wanted to bring it to your attention and that to our viewers and listeners is number one it's a wonderful example of how to produce a video for YouTube and you could study essentially the way in which um Phil does the introduction, the way does the the, um, kind of uh, closing statements, the different way which is edited, uh, elements within the video. It's just a great study of how to do it, but also it's great advice in terms of growing uh, your audience on Instagram, I would argue beyond. I think the advice within that is uh, valid for all social networks. What is interesting is that this video, is in fact a 10-minute summary, a 10-minute kind of uh, study of a long video that he produced on IGTV, where he had an expert guest called Marketing Harry, kind of a superhero name, and he wanted to revisit, you know, that video to essentially give you a summary. And of course, if you wanted to, you could watch the full version by clicking on the link in the description on the YouTube channel. So to me that's that you know it's a wonderful example of creating a video it's a great way to also repurpose what's already out there but by adding value and of course i'm going to give you now the top tips to grow your uh, instagram following organically so number one advice which i think will resonate with you roger is simply posting on instagram to then hope for the audience to grow is really really not where we're at in 2021 the way to grow an audience is not just to post and wait for things to happen you have to post by all means but you've got to engage and react to comments so you've got to be present and that kind of uh, your presence would also make sure that through the engagement you are featured on the suggested for you and the explore times on instagram which is a big big part of how you can be discovered then number, number two, because you're going to be more present on Instagram, then you're going to be inspired by what you observe, and that way you can come up with your own compelling content. So, you know, there's a fine line between inspiration and plagiarism, and you know, it's asking you to be very, very careful but again, you will not come up with good content tidy by not being active on Instagram, which I think plays to number one, which is to post and go is not where we're at really. Um, find ways and take the initiative to really encourage people to visit your profile to get more clicks on that follow button is number three advice, which I think makes sense, and we've seen many examples of that. Now, that this one is interesting to me because for some uh, platform that may be contrary to the advice that you hear out there, but try multiple strategies at the same time to get the engagement as opposed to one after the other. So for example, try at the same time diverse range of content at the same time collaborate with other content creators, at the same time interact with lives, with hashtags and with posts from across your industry. So really quite a chunky bit of work there with development of trying different things at the same time. And finally, the best advice, which I think is the one that we share a lot on social media, remember that the content ultimately has to focus on what matters to your audience. So what are their needs? What is a challenge that is maybe an obstacle to those needs? And what is the advice you can share? It has a final bit of advice for you know people who are working on Instagram enjoy the journey and enjoy the moment because this is a lot of work you know success will not happen overnight but if you're consistent and you enjoy the process which others can, can tell then this is how you can grow your following on instagram organically but to me uh, having shared all that advice to you what i'm taking away from phil which i'm not surprised if you really want to get on the success that you deserve on instagram you've got to work at it and that plays to the advice that you and I've shared many times, maybe you're better off just work on Instagram and not on multiple platforms at the same time.
0: I mean, this, this is absolutely spot on. And, Mm. uh, Uh, Phil's a great guy and I will watch this video I I find Instagram perplexing to be perfectly (laughs) honest and and, and this does reinforce the fact that as you say it's a lot of work I mean gone are the days when Instagram was all about taking a pretty post Photo posting it with a comment and, and putting a load of hashtags in. You know, the, the algorithm changes so much. I, I don't know whether Instagram is a photo platform anymore or whether you're supposed to focus on doing reels or whether you're supposed to focus on IGTV or whether, as you say, and as Phil says in his video here, that you've got to do a bit of everything. But if you've got to do a bit of everything and play effectively three games within one, mm. as you say, it's a lot to do, isn't it? It's a lot of work. And, you know, if, if you really are going to uh, be successful on Instagram, I think you have got to put that work in uh, and, and understand that it's probably going to take you uh, quite a long time to to build following I would guess
1: and for that point of view so if you look at your and what I call the time budget Roger maybe the decision is I need to just let go of Twitter maybe I need to let go of you know all the aspirations I had for this uh, Instagram strategy to work and for me the advice I'd love to hear is this idea of be present engage and collaborate with others you know it's not just a I get it you know it's very appealing you know this idea Roger of post something no matter where it is but would say Instagram and then something will come to you somehow. I think, you know, the posting is just a beginning of a series of activity, which includes just engaging, reacting, and collaborating with others. And, and I just thought it was great. And just to remind you as well, Roger, the way in which this video is produced, do watch it because there's snippets from IGTV, there's some graphics overlay, there's some great stuff that is done that uh, is also uh, what you can learn from. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to do that because I'm always <laughs> looking for tips for, for video
0: production, as you know. So, Pascal, A little bit of an apology. I've picked another article by Mark Ritson for my uh, content spotlight this week. I tried very hard, but uh, once again, the headline grabbed my attention. And I started reading the article, and I thought, you know, it's got to be. It's got to be. Um, Now, the heading of this article is, If an influence is what you want... Find a 90-year-old with bad Wi-Fi. Now, great headline, isn't it? Absolutely great headline. All is forgiven, <laughs> <laughs> All is forgiven. Now, the thing is, we've talked about influencers on the show a few times over the last few episodes, and, and both of us have this opinion that, well, anybody can be an influencer. You know, we're influencers within our uh, smallish um circle of uh, of colleagues and friends i guess and and you can be an influencer without having millions and millions of followers on instagram but i think that the world thinks of influencers as people who have millions and millions of followers on Instagram and probably sit on beaches in in Dubai during lockdowns when the rest of us aren't allowed or, or aren't supposed to travel. But what really made me laugh about this article is that not only does it prove that anybody can be an influencer, it also teaches us some really important lessons about marketing. So very, very briefly, the story is that um, AT&T... Uh, which is one of the uh, internet service providers in America, have been doing a lot of advertising recently across the whole of the US, boasting about their high Wi-Fi speeds. You know, we're talking about 300 uh, megabits per second, that sort of of level. Now, there's a, a gentleman in Hollywood is not getting anywhere near those speeds. In fact, he's, he's using um, speed uh, testing equipment, and sometimes it's as low as 3 megabits per second as opposed to 300. And he says it's absolutely impossible to do anything other than just surf text-based pages or, or download e- emails. He certainly can't watch Netflix or anything like that. And apparently he's complained to at and loads of times, and nothing's happened for a long, long time, and yet they're still putting all of these adverts out on TV. So what he did, and he had to pay for this, he took out an advert in a newspaper. Do you remember newspapers? I do. A real, a real <laughs> proper paper newspaper, and basically, he it, it called out the CEO of AT and T. And as you would expect, just like the Weetabix tweet, this advert got picked up by pretty much every TV news channel in America. And before long, this guy, and I should have said, he's 90 years old, as the headline of the article says, he's 90 years old, was being interviewed on all the breakfast shows across the States. And can you imagine when the CEO of at got his morning roundup of the news <laughs> and they were plastered all a- across it now as you would expect within hours there was uh, was a crew round digging up the road installing fiber optic into the road where this gentleman lived and within within 24 hours the guy had the the internet speeds that he was expecting and he's a happy chap and he's a happy chap but Isn't that just amazing? This guy has become more of an influencer at the age of 90 than many other people with millions of followers on Instagram. And the two lessons that Mark effectively draws out of this, well there's probably three, and the the first lesson is the one that we've been saying all the time, is that you don't have to be somebody with all those followers on Instagram. You just need to have some knowledge or power, I guess, in your particular niche or industry. The second one, though, is don't underestimate the power of the news media. And marketers do do that a lot of the time. I guess we would call it PR, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of people these days go straight to Twitter. They go straight to Instagram. They go straight to Facebook. And, you know, you see people say, oh, news media's dead. News, newspapers, definitely paper versions of newspapers are dead. But just imagine, had this 90-year-old gone to Twitter and complained about it, It would have been picked up by somebody on their Twitter uh, customer services team. They'll have probably responded to him and said, sorry about that, we'll send somebody around to fix it. And nobody else in the world would have known it. But this guy took out a paper advert in a paper paper and he got his face on pretty much all of the breakfast TV shows in America. So, wow, (laughs) that's how to become an influencer. And I guess the second lesson and, and again, this is, this is so obvious, Pascal, is marketing isn't just about communicating to your customers, which is what at and are constantly doing with their adverts, boasting about their constantly high speeds. What they weren't doing is actually listening to what their customers were telling them about the reality of the speeds, and that's what got them into serious trouble. So, I'm actually not, I'm sorry, not sorry <laughs> about using another article by Mark Ritson.
1: Yes, I mean, Mark, if you keep using headlines and titles like this, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult. But um, we should try and find a way one day to invite him as a special guest in, in return for all, all the many uh, articles <laughs> we've reviewed. But you know, I can't help, I hope you don't mind, Roger, but I c- this. To me, has so much um, in terms of echo of three billboards uh, outside yeah. Ebbing. You know, in terms of the yeah. the, the kind of acquisition. I love the idea of using kind of uh, you know analog media. Some people have been uh, saying in jest, but also you're right. This idea of I'm sure. The gentleman didn't go from zero to the newspaper advert, he, he probably has tried many times to get in touch with somebody and nobody was listening and he could see the adverts on TV like and really was thinking, well, that's just not right. But more importantly, and I think that's where people sometimes get it wrong, whilst he is an influencer, what has worked is the network, in this case news media, supporting him. And I think too often, you know, the term influencers use about that single entity, that single person that somehow is making everything um happen almost automagically, where in fact real influencers they have a network and they use a the network, you know, to their to their advantage. Uh, well, superb choice, Roger, uh, and I'm sure you know that our viewers and listeners will be um, chuckling. Now, do you think that, back to the Wittabix example, that we're going to see more you know, of our elders than going to the newspapers and advert complaining about another form of um, public service or utility?
0: Well, you never know. It might be the next big thing, mightn't it? You mean maybe they all, maybe these people be on TikTok before we know it, Pascal. Oh, I'll, some again, great content spotlights, great content spotlights, and all that technology involved in getting this ninety-year-old gentleman on TV gives us a great way of segueing into the next section of the show, which is marketing tech and apps. <laughs> And in this section of the show, Pascal and I talk about some marketing technology, some marketing apps that we've come across over the last few weeks, and we, again, surprise each other with what we've got on the table. Pascal...
1: What have you got for us this week? So Roger, I want to continue this journey of rediscovery about creating a better online experience when delivering webinars, presentations, or simply one-to-one coaching. And I'm talking a lot about the visual stimuli that w- we can use as part of the platform that we use. So I began last week, as you may remember, and I want to continue with uh, from moving um, to moving images. I started with static images. I want to move to moving images. And you reminded me of a platform that I discovered some time ago but forgot last week. Um, There is a website called Mixkit. You remember you mentioned that to us last time? Mixkit.co and they have a free stock video feature. So whilst you can certainly find free stock videos on the likes of Pexels Videos and Pixabay and a few others, what I like about Mixkit.co forward slash free hyphen stock hyphen video I've done my research, I've checked them out, and they are very different to the other platforms. So again, if you want to be a bit different and avoid the situations someone saying, I've seen this before, that could be a great platform to use for transitions in between maybe some of the um, training modules or something like this so you can have it as a backdrop if you're doing a keynote presentation you could have a time lapse maybe behind you and so on with some lovely ways again to create just a bit more interesting uh, online experience and then the other platform that also offers you some uh, um videos sometime more for a backdrop i would say is cover.co, so cover spelled with two r's, .co. Again, free to open an account and you can download some free stock video footage to illustrate your next keynote presentation or webinars. And you and I have mentioned this before, relating our own experience, but bringing people like Drew Davis and many others. You know, we are seeing now the convergence more and more of public speaking either management, but also uh, media production. You know, those three kind of talents and skill set coming together. And you need to find ways to have at your fingertips, you know, what I call your virtual support, which will, in this case, will come from Mixkit and Cover with two R's.
0: Yeah it's it's
1: a great idea
0: and and funnily enough I was watching another of Drew Davis's um, videos this week and he was actually telling the story in his video of a New York entrepreneur and it's quite obvious that he downloaded some stock footage from somewhere like Mixkit or Cover or Pexels and, and Pixabay which we've mentioned before and incorporated it within the video and even though it was only on the screen for probably less than two seconds, if that, it just adds to that, the variety, and, and it makes the video pop, and it makes it stand out. And, and it's well worth taking the time, isn't it, Pascal, to, to research these sites and find something that's just going to make your audience sit up and think, oh, he's, he cares about what we are experiencing.
1: For me, you know, very quickly, it's a bit like if you want to put together a presentation using PowerPoint, you're not going to be using the template given to you by Microsoft. So you're going to try and find a way to express yourself as uniquely as you are. And I think those many platforms uh, are there to to help you with that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So i can sort of carry this conversation on into my
0: uh, piece of uh, tech this week now we have mentioned this on the uh, show before probably well over 10 episodes ago possibly more and it's a it's a video live streaming production platform called Haps. Now, the first time I mentioned it, I hadn't used it. And I think if I remember back, the reason I mentioned it was because they have a different angle to things like YouTube in that they are encouraging their creators to be almost like journalists or news reporters. So the idea would be if I live in Edinburgh, I could go out with my camera and use the HAPS platform to stream a live video, say, here's the castle in the spring or here's the castle in the winter or Prince's Street Gardens at Christmas, that sort of thing. And and the focus was on almost like being a, a, a journalistic reporter. And I quite liked that. Now, funnily enough, Pascal, you sent me a message last weekend with pointing to a HAPS update, and it reminded me that it was about time that I actually registered Mm -hmm. for the platform and and tried it out. And I really actually like what I see. Now, earlier on in the news, we talked about YouTube introducing this uh, way of rewarding people called applause, where you can effectively clap and and donate money to people, and, and of course, the shorts as well. Now, HAPS is actually like a combination of a YouTube-style platform where videos are hosted, but it also has all the live streaming technology that you would expect from something like StreamYard or Restream.io. So it's a combination of the two. So you could quite honestly just record a video on HAPS and upload it to HAPS and stay on there and be encapsulated within it, just like you are on YouTube. Or you could use that software to live stream to just about everything. So you could use the, the HAPS, software to stream to YouTube to LinkedIn, to Facebook, to Twitter to Twitch, all of the usual live streaming destinations and, and what I really like about it is the extras that you get like being able to put lower thirds in and being able to suck in live chat literally onto the screen as opposed to having to do it in a different in a different location. And all of this at the moment is totally free. Um, it has, to much, from what I can see, it has at least all of the flexibility and the uh, um, features as something like StreamYard, and yet it is free. Um, whether it'll stay free forever, I, I, I seriously doubt. But the, just looking at it, there are already some people on HAPS who don't look like your traditional YouTubers, but they are. They've got lots of subscribers, and not only can you subscribe to someone in the way that you would do on YouTube, i.e. you just press a button and you're there, you actually can charge people to be subscribers. So I could charge somebody a dollar a month, or $5 a month, or £10 a month to be a subscriber. Now, obviously, the content you put out is going to have to be pretty good to get people to subscribe, but... That is an option. So it, it, it's actually a much deeper platform than I ever thought. I just thought, oh, they, they've come up with this idea of encouraging people to be journalists. But it's, it's like a TV studio, live streaming studio with all the kit you would expect. Plus, it's this whole YouTube-style experience. So I, I'm really
1: liking what I'm seeing at the moment. I'm just so glad you you actually mentioned haps.tv a second time. I think that's obviously in the spirit of this particular segment because we're going to understand and discover more about some of those platforms. And for me, what I love is how they really feel and appear different to all the others.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. They they've gone for that niche of the journalistic approach, but it's all the other features. And you know, when I when when I um, read out the bit about the applause on YouTube, you know that's a good thing. But actually, Haps have been doing this right from their inception. Um, they don't call it applause. You actually give people almost like. Um, coins uh and, and you can actually buy coins to give people so not only can you subscribe to people's channels you can also donate just almost like tips i guess applause which is which is what the youtube version is so yeah really really interesting uh, i haven't actually used it to go live yet because th- this week has been mainly just messing around with it but i am going to give it a try probably in my harbour trip down tomorrow morning because to stay within the feel of the platform, I felt that I had to be outside showing people stuff as opposed to being inside, sat here behind the computer. Well, I'd be looking out for it. Fantastic. Okay, Pascal, let's do what we always do at this part of the show. We fire up the flux capacitor. We dive into the DeLorean. We set the controls of the TARDIS. We head back in time for this week in history.
1: In 1959, the Barbie doll makes its debut at the American Toy Fair in New York. In 1961, George,
0: when I'm cleaning windows, Formby sadly died. He was one of Britain's most popular entertainers, used to play the ukulele, and I included him in the news this
1: week because he used to live next door but one to my grandfather. Wow. Well, in 1985, Yul Brynner appears in his 4,500th performance of The King and I. He would start in a further 133 performances, the last one just four months before his death. Goodness gracious. In 1983, the NASA Space probe
0: Pioneer 10 crosses the orbit of Neptune, becoming the first man-made object to leave the solar system. It was launched in 1972
1: and headed towards the red star Aldebaran. Wow. Well, in 1989, the USSR's Phobos 2 enters a Martian's orbit on its way to the moon Phobos. The spacecraft never completed its mission as mission control lost contact in March 27th. Yeah, those pesky Martians probably shot it down. In 1994,
0: Apple launches their QuickTake 100 digital camera, one of the very first digital cameras aimed at the consumer market, which was a complete and utter
1: flop, if I remember rightly. In 2001, Donald Campbell's speedboat is recovered. Divers raise the wreck Bluebird from the bottom of Coniston Water in Cumbria. And finally, in 2010, American director Catherine
0: Bigelow became the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Director for The Hurt Locker. Wow. So, Pascal. Yule Brynner. And this film, the the King and I. I mean, actually, it was the stage performance that he was that he was renowned for. And I think the film of the King and I was made in something like 1958, and by then he had already clocked up thousands of performances on the stage. And in 1985, I think that was almost like a re run or a a, a reboot if that was the right word of the stage version of the king and i i do remember quite liking that film again i mentioned my grandfather in relation to george Mm. formby but i'm pretty sure he bought me the soundtrack
1: album to the king and i but you know what's incredible is when you look at the other number so by the time sadly he died rather young you know 65 is to to us is a young age you know just you know over the 4500 mark the diligence, you know, the, the commitment to the story, to the character and so on is, I don't think it's been equaled since. I mean, I don't think actors, forgive me, would do that nowadays. We would live in different times altogether. I think he became so recognizable as the part of the
0: king in that film, in the film, and on the stage play, that they, they, they probably couldn't have run the stage play with anybody else. It just almost had to be Jules Brynner playing that role.
1: I mean, as an uh, individual, as a professional, uh, talk about personal branding. I mean, you know, you'll bring out the name, you know, the, the, the physicality, uh, the way he stood out on screen. I mean, we know that the, um, the making of the, uh, you know, seven mercenaries or the Magnificent Seven, should I say. Uh, was fraught with tension because all those incredible actors and what Yubina said to them is, you know, all I have to do is take my cowboy hat off and then everybody would be, all eyes would be on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, interesting couple of news items about spacecraft here. Um, the, the, the one that went out beyond Neptune and the one that disappeared in orbit around Mars Literally yesterday, the day before we recorded this episode of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, was the landing of the robot rover actually on Mars. And I was watching on television last night some of the photos that it's already sending back. They look absolutely incredible. So whether, and I was joking, the Martians shot down uh, the Phobos 2 thing back in 1989 let's hope we get some fabulous footage back from the uh, the current rover
1: indeed and uh, we do mention mars a lot you know whether it's to do with uh, the movie the martian which we reviewed as well as that but quick um kind of aside for you uh, about mars um, I think it was last year. My sister bought my nephew a birthday present, which was essentially a voucher whereby, when the uh, rover, you know, would land on Mars, a message would be sent to him. So you could buy this uh, gift, you know, and presents. So sure enough, yesterday, my um, nephew Louis got a message, a picture with him in it, you know, of essentially pretending he was next to the rover um, kind of vehicle. But he got a message um, from Mars as his birthday present.
0: Message from Mars. That is absolutely (laughs) fabulous, isn't it? Absolutely fabulous. Great. So, Catherine Bigelow. I, wouldn't, I would have thought there had been a female director winning an Academy Award before 2010. I was quite shocked by that. Yeah, shameful. It took a Absolutely long time. Shameful.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. she deserves it, and she's been an incredible film producer and, and director, and she's done some great work, but not, not not acceptable, in my view, you know, to wait literally 2010. I mean, that, to, we've been making movies, give or take, for nearly a century now. Uh, so you know let's hope that things are still improving and will improve moving forward so Catherine Bigelow what an amazing creator she
0: is and that leads us nicely (laughs) into the next section of the show which is our creators shout outs And in this section of the show, Pascal and I give a shout-out to one of our favourite creators. Now, most of the time, the creator is somebody within our immediate network, although sometimes we do stray outside that network and and uh, and talk about people with even bigger influence. So,
1: Pascal, who's on your radar this week? Well, today I'm so, so pleased to introduce you and our viewers and listeners To Nick Redmond, the host of the Voice Coach podcast series. Now, Nick and I are a second level connection according to the LinkedIn definition, and I must once again thank Alan McGee, who is my contact on LinkedIn, for introducing me to Nick Redmond and her podcast. She is a coach, as I mentioned a moment ago, and she works with anyone who is a professional that needs the spoken word and spoken voice as a way of functioning, whether you're a whether you're a speaker, whether you're a consultant, a coach, and so on, and what she's doing through her work, but also through this podcast, she's sharing her insight and knowledge about the mechanics of speech and voice, and what you can do to essentially look after your voice. She talks about voice health, but she also gives you techniques to be a better speaker, a better kind of raconteur, and just holds an audience interest. Now, this is a new podcast series for her. It started roughly on the 24th of January, so that there are now a handful of episodes, including how to warm up your voice in five minutes, top five microphone techniques, tips, how to have good vocal health, which is a term that I didn't never thought of, but of course you sure, and I would agree that on occasion our vocal health is not as good as it could be, and it has an impact on our ability to work. But of course you've got the top five tips for improving your speech and so on and so forth. In the how to warm up your voice in five minutes there's a fun exercise in there that you can do with her and she also has a tongue twister which is as follows i'm going to try and do it well as one 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 shot so benedict cumberbatch broke a delicate luggage rack oh i'm quite pleased with myself there this is (laughs) now this is the one that she has she has a few others in there and what is lovely is she's clearly passionate about voice and the mechanics of voice she really shares her you know kind of advice with great enthusiasm but also she has this i must say i don't mind me saying this um, great voice we'd expect that and really charming kind of irish tone to it as well which is quite compelling so really pleased to have added a uh, nick redmond's you know voice coach podcast series on my stitcher account and i'd want others to do the same I'm gonna to listen to this uh, Pascal I think that I mean you
0: and I use our voice so much in as part of our job not only in this podcast but when we do webinars when we do stage presentations whatever it might be we're using our voice and you know i very rarely think about it and i never really think am i looking after my voice am i warming up properly so yeah definitely need to give this a yeah. listen to and, and find out uh, what she's got to say so my creator shout out this week is actually for somebody that i've known for a good long time his name is kevin carr now he runs a pr agency uh within the financial services uh, industry and I've worked with Kevin many many years and known him for many many years and currently we both work um, on a, a a project called protection review and we've mentioned that a few times on the podcast and I've been going on at Kevin for a long time that he needs to start doing video and he's finally put together a piece of video and actually I, I hope it goes a bit viral um, now Kevin is a bit of an expert in how to write, entries for awards a business awards specifically so you know if, if you are wanting to enter a business awards it doesn't really matter whether it's financial services or not these tips will help there are there are certain things you should do and obviously a lot of things that you shouldn't do and i've been a judge and i still am a judge in in several um, awards ceremonies dinners whatever you might call them and To be perfectly honest, Pascal, some of the entries are just woeful, and they go straight in the bin pretty much um, within the first couple of lines. Kevin's put together the top ten tips for writing better awards. It's his first video, and it's really good. And I love the gimmick where he effectively changes his clothes. Uh, I almost said costume then, but isn't it? He just changes his clothes and location for each of the tips. just a bit of a fun gimmick but it, it just made it stand out in my mind so as always i'll leave the link to that video in the show notes but it's kevin carr and if you are thinking about entering an award ceremony entering your business for an award or your product for award give this video a watch it's only six minutes but it might be the difference between you winning and losing
1: excellent thank you very much roger Excellent work. So,
0: Pascal, what do you think? Time for film marketing? Imagine that you've just finished a piece of content and you're eager to get it out to the world, but it's going to take you at least 14 months to just polish it and make it fit for customer consumption. Would you think that that was a frustrating thing to happen? Well, today's film is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And post-production on this film took 14 months. And the reason why? Because they merged together live action with
1: animation. Do you remember this one, Pascal? I do remember it very well, indeed. I remember going to the UGC complex in Bordeaux, with friends and family and having the time of my life completely. But i just say as well that I'm almost so proud that for the Two Geeks of Marketing podcast we've chosen this film because by now, if people don't appreciate how much we adore filmmaking and film production, they should get it, you know, with this choice today.
0: Yeah, I, I went to see it in Lancaster of all places, um, but obviously at the time it was just a fabulous, fun movie. And yes, we absolutely marvelled at the way that they had managed to merge together animated cartoons and real people. Now, I think uh, I up until that point, probably when I was younger, I'd been to see the original Mary Poppins film, and there was another film called Bedknobs and Broomsticks as well, which merged animation with live action. But the genius of this film... And if you look at those other two that I mentioned is that you could tell that the scenes where the cartoons and the live people were merged together were very static and one dimension and, and, and two-dimensional. Whereas in, we, in in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it was that the, the, the cartoons were being, you know they were zooming round them, they were zooming in them, they were circling up and down. they were bouncing shadows of light over them. You know, there's one amazing scene where there's a light bulb uh, swinging in the, uh, in the background and you can see the shadows going across the cartoon's face. And here's the thing, Pascal, and I didn't realise this at the time, but this was one of the last animated films that was made where every single frame of the cartoons were individually hand-drawn
1: and painted. That's why it took them 14 months and indeed, to, to that extent, you know, that was one, uh, this movie won three Oscars for obviously the best editing, the best sound effects and the best um, kind of special effects. But there was also a special commendation for the animation team.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's just almost beyond comprehension because now pretty much every animated film is done by computer. Uh, so I guess you could say it's a lot easier. I mean, it's still incredibly uh, sophisticated. But imagine they had to draw every single frame of each character in that film. And every frame, every second of the film would have had 24 frames. So each of those 24 Frames had to be slightly different to make the, the characters animate. And it was not only the uh, character animation. Again, they had to paint in the shadows. They had to paint in the lighting. They had to paint in other cartoon characters in the background. And it, it just it just absolutely staggers me how much... Detail and painstaking detail was gone into with this I mean one of the joys of watching the film for me is actually pausing the video and and oh look You can see the seven dwarfs are in the back (laughs) of that as that scene, you know only for a split second But they they had that vision that they wanted to try and include within the film somewhere pretty much every famous cartoon character There's ever been And, and it's when you look at it from that point of view. It's unbelievably detailed
1: Yeah, there's the same sense of wonder and enjoyment than when you first see Ready Player One. And, mm. and you kind of can't quite believe you know all this reference to your childhood and, and indeed you know when you watch but I think uh, what was lovely as well I mean this is um, if I'm not mistaken Roger a Disney production with a few it other is. studios but they also went and I think that's one of the reasons why perhaps nowadays it's harder they they had this ability to bring you know cartoon characters from other studios from Tex Avery to you know uh, a few others that uh, Looney Tunes obviously and uh, Merry Melodies so they could work and Collaboration with with other studios and other kind of uh, IP centers, uh, which I think would be much harder nowadays. Yeah, and and again,
0: maybe that's why the movie was just so far fabulous. I mean, obviously Roger Rabbit himself <laughs> was a completely new creation, and, and and you know you can find articles on the internet to see that Roger Rabbit was almost an amalgamation of various things from other famous people, like the baggy trousers and the bow tie. You can find people who, who they 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 try to emulate there but yeah getting donald duck and daffy duck in the same film warner brothers and, and disney as you've said it that it just made it so special you know bugs bunny and mickey mouse side by side but in character and, and the same voice actors and, and all of that it's and, and i just magical. love you know that
1: the whole concept of that they live in toontown is almost yes. like a ghetto they're being yes. exploited you know by, by the, the the producers you know and so on and so forth and, and what, what was interesting for me I would argue that one the pleasure of watching this film is, is multi-leveled obviously this adult humor as well as kids humor and maybe was the first one to do it properly but most of those characters most of those uh, cartoon characters you and I would have seen them on the small screen up to that mm. point. And for mm. the first time ever, potentially, we saw them on the big screen in the context of a of uh, motion picture. But we must also spend a moment to really, really um, thank, you know, and congratulate the actors who had to act with nothing And then, of course, you know, the Carlton characters were were added later, but Bob Hopskins, you know, who's the lead character, Christopher Lloyd, and so on, they had to imagine being amongst all those characters. And then that was superimposed following, as you mentioned, 14 months of hard work. And one of the articles that I
0: read, Pascal, said that uh, the director was absolutely specific that what would almost make the movie fail was if they got the eye lines wrong Mm. so you know it's very very rare there's a couple of times within the film where bob hoskins isn't quite eye to eye with roger rabbit or the characters interacting with but mainly mainly you could Absolutely believe that it was genuinely acting with a cartoon, but of course, as you say, in real life it was acting to nothing. Maybe there was a there was a stick man or a a model or something that he was he was playing to. But genuinely, they had to get those eye lines absolutely and utterly spot on. One of the other things which I read, which I thought was fabulous, was uh, and you said this is a Disney movie, but actually it was put out as a Touchstone movie Mm. because. I think some of the high-ups at Disney felt that it strayed just a little bit too far (laughs) into adult humour. And I'm sure, I might be wrong, but I'm sure that one of the lines is, is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just pleased to see me? (laughs) Um, And they obviously felt that it it might have tarnished Disney's uh, white image, wholesome image if they'd have associated themselves. It's a
1: bit of a shame because it was so full of Disney characters. But, but again, what you were saying, you know, you've got, you know, that, that humor. For me, uh, you're right, a uh, three-dimensional, so the actors, are real-life actors move around, and everything moves around them as well. You know, there's a real interaction with the world of Toontown. But also what I loved about it was it is a complex story, and it's also using all the archetypes of the 1940s noir detective stories. So we've got Bob Hoskins, who plays the character of Eddie Valiant. Of course, he's a hero. Uh, who eventually would be up against Judge Doom. So if you're not sure, he's the bad guy with a name like such as this one. And he has all this interaction, but that famous scene, which you see in all the kind of black and white detective stories of the temptress, the seductress, you know, entering the detective kind of uh, crumbling office and giving him a contract where he's in peril. Some elements of Chinatown in this, some elements of, you know, min- many movies you've seen with Humphrey Bogart and so on. Uh, well, on that subject, of course, when the movie was out, we were, were all saw for the very first time Jessica Rabbit. Mm.
0: Oh yes,
1: <laughs> I mean, she was drawn
0: in such a way, wasn't she? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mean. I'm just drawn this way, but uh, yeah. So many young lads, well, I almost had a crush on a cartoon <laughs> character. It's, it's absolutely, but I mean, again, that, you know, that the animation, it, uh, I think the scene where she's singing in the bar, the animation of her dress, which was sparkling with mm. glitters, they had to animate every single little light spot from multiple directions. Again, it brings us back to that whole idea of the. Daggering amount of detail and and I guess that you know for content creators like ourselves You know, we 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 say this about a lot of films pascal But this one has to be almost like at the pinnacle of detail and the pinnacle of painstaking Attention to detail and 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 you know If you've got that vision and the wherewithal to carry it out just shows
1: you what you can achieve and I think for me the We didn't know in 1998 that this was... Uh, you know, the best almost, and there would be no others to come after. Um, because ultimately, you do assume, no matter the you know the, the, the genre that you, you favor when it comes to film, that the next iteration, the next exploration of that theme would be better because of access to more technology, to better ways to produce and so on and so forth. But actually, whilst there was some close call with things like Space Jam, or you could argue there were some interesting things explored explore with the, the Incredibles and so on, I think that uh, nothing has um, been as good as uh, this one since then. No, I think you're absolutely right, Pascal. And I'm trying
0: to think back now to the marketing of the film. And, you know, 1988, um, I I was just out of university. I, I can't really think... I know that there was a lot of hype around the film, I know that they, again, the the mix of live and cartoon, they really big that up, uh, there was a lot of programmes in advance on TV showing clips of it, so there was a massive expectation that it was going to be a good film. But uh, any lessons that you you think we can draw from this? Uh,
1: difficult to extract myself from how you know, f- uh, fun the film was, but yes, let's talk about marketing. So you had obviously the marketing pack, the media pack mm. that was put into motion. What is interesting to observe for me is in and around the, the release. So we saw this film suddenly uh, in the UK was released in the December of 1998, which actually is quite late, because it was released in the summer in the US, and actually we had it in October-ish uh, in France. So I'm just perplexed about you know the UK release being so late, but that makes it for a perfect Christmas movie to go and see with the family. But what was interesting, in addition to the uh, the marketing machine, this movie was then mentioned for is te- the technology. So then, you had programs on TV and magazines rev- talking about the film from a technology point of view, so reaching, I would argue, an additional, a new audience. We had some a, a TV series looking uh, into science in, on French TV called uh, Time X, where they were talking about how incredible the achievement, incredible achievement of that film. So you're watching a movie about science and technology, and the movie was being mentioned, so the behind the scene, I think element of the the marketing was also very very important
0: yeah ab- absolutely right remember that it i'm sure it was something like tomorrow's world pascal mm. or something like that yeah. talking about how they made this film and and then of course uh the dvds came later the vhs tape came the dvds came and and you know one of the things that absolutely blew me away um when the when the dvd came out was that you know at the beginning of the film the first five minutes of the film is actually a roger rabbit Cartoon, so it's baby Herman's trying to get the cookies on top of the fridge, and uh, Roger's trying to protect him, and just about every implement within the kitchen either falls on his head or spikes him, or you know all those cartoon pratfalls and, and, and this, that, and the other. And of course, after those five minutes, you realise that it's actually them filming a cartoon. Uh, but on the DVD, there were at least another three Roger Rabbit entire cartoons that they had made now i think that those cartoons actually ran in cinemas almost like extended adverts for the film at the time it was released and of course they ended up being fabulous easter eggs on the um and, and extras on on the dvd but to think that they even went to the extent of creating three more five six minute cartoons in addition to the film Ah, I, again,
1: uh, incredible attention to detail. And it reminded me, first time I went to see this set of movies, I was perplexed by the beginning of thinking, I've got a minute. I saw the trailer. They're meant to be real people there as well because it's quite a lengthy cartoon you see at the very beginning before someone goes, cut! And then suddenly the camera turns to real-life environment. I was thinking, this is wrong. I was <laughs> kind of being, <laughs> being quite perplexed by, by the whole thing. But on, on that point, just reading about the, the some of the trivia that one can consult on, consult on the web about who framed Roger Rabbit, Not only was it at the time, perhaps still is one of the most expensive, obviously film production of all time, but one of the longest. But also to be able to thank everybody that was uh, involved in a movie, it had the longest longest closing credits of all times as well. Ah, that's a new. I didn't know that. That's a
0: fabulous. Well, just to your point, um, Roger,
1: about um, you know to realize you have the same name as a film just came to me. The all those artists who had to create frame-by-frame frame images of all the different uh, characters. There was a lot of people in, involved, yeah. as well as, obviously, the, the normal uh, crew they would expect from a, a, a film, a, a production.
0: Yeah, that. that I mean, you, you, when you think about that army of people painstakingly drawing 24 frames a second, oh, I, I, it just absolutely... Utterly boggles the mind. One of the best films of all time. And I say this every single time <laughs> we, we uh, review a film, Pascal, yeah. on Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast, but it is definitely one for us to watch. I don't actually think any that I've got. The DVD, I think I bought it on VHS originally, and the VHS is, is obviously long since gone, so it's probably one I'm going to have to either buy the Blu-ray now, and hopefully those, uh, those three shorts will still be on there, or, or even download a digital copy, but I want to see it again soon in
1: 4K, hopefully, pristine, beautiful that that line. would be very interesting and again to our viewers and listeners if you've not seen the film don't discount it because it was made literally for some of us you know a century ago or last yeah. century should i say um it really is a story well told. It's really quite witty. If you know just enough about the world of cartoons, you're going to get plenty for the eyes and, and the ears. But I love also the, the, the setting of the 1940s Los Angeles and everything that comes with it. It's just a great, great you know, uh, experience to, to share with others as well.
0: Yeah, and it's a film for everybody, Pascal. All ages can enjoy it. It's definitely a film to watch with the family. It's definitely a film to watch on your own. There's there's elements of romance in it. There's elements of danger. Yeah, good all-round film. But again, that attention to detail for us marketers is the, the thing that sticks out for me. Oh my goodness, Pascal, another mm. fabulous episode. And and I got so excited when I knew that we were going to be talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Listen, everyone, thank you so much for watching the latest episode of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast or listening to it, if that's the way you like to consume your podcasts. If you've got any questions or any comments about what we've been talking about today, just get in touch with us uh, on the YouTube site or, or look us up on Twitter. And, and if you do want to subscribe we'd be absolutely delighted you can find the podcast in all the usual places so really all that's left to say is thanks for watching and thanks for listening and until next time go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni